0: We're going to be looking at um, Psalm 119, an extremely long um, Psalm, and I'm going to do over two weeks no more than just introduce it to you. Um, but I hope it will serve us well by way of introduction, at least, even if we can't mine its treasures. And I want to read to you, it's on page 617 in the Church Bibles, I want to read to you the first 16 verses this
1: morning of Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless,
0: who walk according to the law of the Lord, Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I don't think you could have missed it. Um, the raison d'etre for this little series is that uh, it's the 400th anniversary of the publication of the King James Version of the Bible. There's uh, an exhibition at the Bodleian entitled Manifold Greatness. And uh, I have to confess, I meant to and I still haven't got to it, but it has uh, really good uh, reports of it. I think it's on until October, so you've got some... Uh, you've got some time to go yet. Um, everybody is celebrating what has been one of the most important events in the history of the English-speaking people, the translation of the Bible into English. Actually, before the uh, publication of the King James Version, um, there were other translations, uh, a man called John Wycliffe, Miles Coverdale and most especially, um, most famously William Tyndale. They all uh, translated their Bible, some of them in uh, enormous opposition. Tyndale was martyred for his stated desire that every ploughboy should have access to the word of God in his own language. Uh, Emily was saying right at, right at the beginning there, there, there were um, really difficult circumstances for people who wanted to be able to read the Bible just a few hundred years ago in this country. But in many ways, all of that changed and that, that, that became um, uh, synthesized in one moment in 1611 when James I of England published an official, authorized translation of the scriptures and required it actually to be read in the churches. Before then, uh, churches have been very varied in their practice and many people would have never heard a word of the Bible read in English to them. The King James Version finally enabled everyone to read, or at least to hear, because not everyone could read, to hear the Bible for themselves. And there's been an absolute torrent of books and Programs and uh, so on, celebrating the, that anniversary. Actually, one of the most interesting of those is a contribution um, made by um, Melvin Bragg. He did a, um, a television piece, and he's written a book in it that which he has entitled "Book of Books." Actually, um, he admits that he was completely startled by the um, influence for good that the King James Version has had in British and and the English-speaking, in Britain and the English-speaking world. He wrote an article elsewhere, actually provocatively entitled, My First Steps Back on the Road to Faith. And he said in that article that he can't yet bring himself to believe in the central supernatural claims of the Bible. But he found himself, as he researched the influence of the Bible, and especially the King James Version, he found himself unable to resist the sense that it was the most powerful book in the whole history of the world. He describes in, uh, in his book how it was central for the flourishing of science in modern times, for the development of a, a modern legal system, for, for the development of modern democracy, for the abolition of slavery, for the creation of great literature, and on and on it goes. He uh, says it is the book of books, the most significant uh, book that has ever been published in the English language. And I think most people who researched it consider that his case to be unanswerable. Whatever you think of the Bible, um, whether you hate it or love it, uh, you cannot deny that it has shaped the English-speaking world for good. From the founding of the Bank of England to the founding of the RSPCA, it was believers who read their Bibles who set out to do those good things. From the development of modern democracy to the development of laws of toleration, it was people who poured over their Bibles who developed those things.
1: So it's good for us to celebrate it.
0: But I I want particularly to home in on one thing this week and next. One really important thing and one really shocking thing, in fact. The shocking thing is that today
1: even Christians don't read their Bibles. Now that's astonishing really, isn't it?
0: When you see that even those outside of the church recognize it to be um, an extraordinary significant books and we, uh, and we in our confession say that we believe the word of God and yet actually believers don't read their Bibles or at least not as much as um, they, they wish they would perhaps. In a recent Bible Society survey of churchgoers in England and Wales, only 16% uh, read their Bibles daily. Actually, only one in four managed to read it more often than not. And one third of regular churchgoers never read it at all outside of hearing it in church. Now, it wasn't selected towards evangelicals. I hope that a church such as ours which places the Bible centrally, doesn't have statistics as
1: bad as that. But actually, I'm not 100% confident. Actually, perhaps you're sitting there fe- feeling some relief
0: that you're not the, o- not the only one. As James said at the beginning, you know, we all try to read our Bibles every day. I'm sure uh, a significant proportion of hearts just slumped and thought, you know, I'm a failure amongst these people. Perhaps it's a bit of a relief to find that an awful lot of people are uh, also not reading their Bibles regularly. Well, relief as it may be, let me give you another statistic. Another survey suggested that those who read their Bibles regularly, not, not every day actually, at least four times a week, amongst those who read their Bibles at least four times a week, they are dramatically less likely to fall into the, sort of the, the, the major traps and pitfalls and sins of human beings. 57% less likely to get involved in gambling, they tested alcohol abuse and sexual sin. So what that's saying is that those who don't read their Bibles regularly, whatever they claim to believe, actually whatever their church attendance is, they are leaving themselves
1: wide open to all sorts of things that can come in and deeply damage their lives.
0: Interestingly, the same uh, research showed that reading it the odd time, once or twice a week, had no particularly beneficial effect over not reading it at all for Christians what really makes a difference is reading it more often than not reading it at least four times a week those who read it every day were significantly more able to lead the kinds of lives they wanted to to, to lead than those who read it four times a day but the big shift was between those who read it four times a day and those who read it once and twice. They they were um, in a completely different world, those people. Regular, disciplined Bible reading has a significant positive effect on your life. It really does. And we have a vision as a church to... Equip people for lives of Christ honouring service. That's what it says in our our vision statement. And as I looked at those statistics and considered it, I realised that if we are not equipping people to become regular personal Bible readers then whatever other good things we do support you in the life of the church give you give, give you give you skills deepen your understanding all sorts of things whatever else we do if you are not going home and reading your bible more often than not then then we have done you a disservice we have not equipped you for lives of Christ honoring service indeed the prospects are not good for you walking the rest of your life
1: as believers of reasonable stature. So, I come to Psalm 119 and to this 400th anniversary
0: of the reading of the King James with those things ringing in my ears and in my mind. Disciplined reading of God's word combined with 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 practical obedience uh, on a daily basis is truly life transforming the psalm actually psalm 119 is itself a an extremely disciplined piece of writing. It's what scholars call an acrostic. That is that it has um, uh, stanzas of eight verses and each of those uh, each line of those uh, those stanzas begins with the same letter of the alphabet and as each stanza goes on we go through the alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters so there are 22 stanzas from uh, well, not from A to Z, but as the um, NIV says, from Aleph to Tav, the uh, Hebrew letters. Um, I have to say, though I've read Psalm 119 many times over the years, I've never particularly liked it. It's, it. it's sort of hyper-disciplined in its form, but I always felt it was never very clear in what it wanted to uh, say, except for a few some broad genera- generalities, and sometimes it positively comes across as priggish, verse 100, I have more understanding than my elders, says, uh, uh, says the writer. And um, even before I was an elder, I didn't particularly like that. Um, <coughs> as my boys um, would put it, he, he's just too up himself, this, uh, this, the, the, this writer. So, in 30 years, actually, I've not really studied Psalm 119, but uh, I felt it was time that I came to it, and I found much more than I imagined. In fact, much more than we can look at over, uh, over two weeks. Next week, we're going to, to, to see something very, very important uh, about this psalm. Far from it being priggish, it's actually, it, it actually deals with the nitty-gritty, realistic um, aspects of life's real struggles. I hadn't seen that before. I deal with people all the time who are struggling in all sorts of issues in life, struggling to believe God, struggling in their faith, struggling to be obedient. And and there it is in the psalm. In fact, next week we're going to see that the whole psalm is structured around the idea that life frankly, is a struggle. It is difficult. It is tough. It is hard. And it shows us how the Word of God helps us in that um, that difficult world. But uh, this week, we're actually going to um, just introduce ourselves to the psalm with one single thought, which is there in verses 1 to 16. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 says, the word of God is the path to happiness. That's that's how it begins and that's what we need to think about. The first uh, two stanzas are actually a pair. The 22 stanzas of the whole poem roughly work as pairs all the way through. We'll see that next next week. But the first two lines of the first stanza set the scene. Blessed are those whose ways are blindless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. It's a lovely word uh, blessed but I, but I don't think it quite captures what the psalmist wants to say. Certainly when I read the word blessed it conjures up either some some sort of pious inner glow or, or, or if I'm feeling a bit more bleak perhaps the sort of future promise of something good but you've got to suffer now you know you're, you're, you'll be blessed in heaven don't worry about that endurance and it, I, I, I think it says something much more simple which is captured by a different word happy happy are those whose ways are blameless who walk according to the law of the Lord happy are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Avoiding sin will make you happy. Godly habits will make you happy. Disciplined obedience will make you happy because seeking God with all our hearts makes us happy. That's what he's saying. And it is that conviction in uh, Psalm 119, it is that conviction, you see, that drives him again and again back to the word of God. I want to be happy, he's saying. So, I'm going to become an eager student of the Bible. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous law. You know, it, it's common for people to say, well, I know it, I know it. But we never do, there is always more to see, and we need constant reminders of it. And if we are not actually exposing ourselves regularly to uh, the Word of God, if we are not learning, as uh, uh, he puts it, your righteous laws then we will not find that the truths of God are increasingly permeating our lives. We will not see our lives conformed more and more to the likeness
1: of Christ and crucially, we will not be happy. And that is actually, I think, what we just don't believe. I I just think,
0: that's what stops us reading the Bible just just doesn't seem to click that is my path to happiness and someone might say well actually I don't want this sort of rigid dull obedience to God I want spontaneity in my relationship with God I do not want dull Now, let me say to you, spontaneity is great and wonderful, but spontaneity without boundaries and without discipline actually becomes captivity. The drug addict started out just spontaneously trying that substance on the spur of the moment. The lonely divorcee started out just spontaneously responding to that flirtatious approach from another person. The man who has the the death of a child because he ran his car into her on his conscience for the rest of his life has that on his conscience because he spontaneously just drank one drink too many at the pub. Spontaneity without discipline is a cage, is a trap,
1: is an enslavement it promises lots of happiness and it delivers misery.
0: Another person, uh, perhaps a little bit more theologically literate, will say, yeah, but what I want, is, uh, what I want to focus on with God is, is His grace, is His forgiveness. Surely that's the heart of the Bible. And Peter, you're talking, and that Psalm 119 is talking about about anything but grace, about learning obedience. Well, let me say in, in in Psalm 119 there are there's lots of grace, lots of forgiveness, and of course the Bible is absolutely full of grace. In fact, it is the centerpiece of Scripture. It is the foundation on which a Christian life is built, if there was not grace, if there was not forgiveness, if there was not rescue for us when we fail, then we would all
1: be in deep trouble. But God wants to do more than rescue you. He wants to rescue you and change you. He wants to make you into a new person imagine a baby in a, in a,
0: in a swimming pool ah, tiny baby you put them in a great big ring around their body large inflatable armbands to, uh, to hold them up because you know that they will sink in a moment if they are left unattended and God's grace to young new believers is exactly like that yeah? it is wonderful actually we sink in a moment without God's grace and there it is holding us up and helping us to, uh, 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 to float. But you see, like, like any
1: good parent, God wants to teach us to swim. No, he's never going to leave our side he may often have to step in and stop
0: us sinking again because we will never be perfect swimmers
1: in this fallen world. But like a doting parent, you see, he wants to take off that ring, take off those armbands and train us to begin swimming. Swimming. And that takes
0: discipline, practice, determination.
1: No one ever learned to swim spontaneously. Uh, I
0: have to say, I, too, I see too many Christians who, who frankly are just like uh, uh, oversized, great big babies, festooned in their in, in, in their uh, ring and their armbands, still stuck, bobbing about in the, in the baby pool and certainly being looked after by God and it's lovely as they fail all the time. But don't you begin to look over with, with envy at the people in the adult pool who are actually forging up and down the lanes in the water, who are playing
1: without all of this stuff diving in at the deep end because they can swim. God wants to train us
0: as people who can look after ourselves,
1: who can live godly lives in this world. And that requires us to learn to obey the word of God Actually, I have a
0: feeling that a, a very big reason why people don't get, don't get excited about living disciplined Christian lives is that most of us have a, a sort of thinly Christianized Hollywood idea of what a happy life looks like. You watch almost any sitcom these days and they're they're all saying basically the same thing.
1: They're all saying, first of all, yeah, our lives are morally suspect. But isn't everyone's? And with a bit of humour and a bit of support from our friends,
0: we can muddle through. I remember watching Friends um, some time ago when, um, uh, I can't remember the characters' names now, when Matthew, Matthew Perry's getting um, uh, getting married and he's talking about how wonderful their life will be now that they're entering into marital bliss. And um, he says, you know, we'll live together out in the countryside with a, with a, in a big house. And, and um, the answer comes back, Oh, what about Joey? Um, and, uh, uh, J- Joey, can live in, Joey can live in the uh, attic over the garage. It's funny. But it disguised the misery of a man like Joey who's unable to control his appetites.
1: That he's destined to be alone. That's what they were saying. They made a joke out of it.
0: On it goes, you see it in in Scrubs and uh, um, Friends, I've said, Desperate Housewives, all of them. Very funny. But it's actually a massive show of bravado. The icons of that world endure misery. You know, Jennifer Lopez yesterday announced her third divorce. And there's drug addiction and all sorts of other misery. It's a show. And yet we, we, we have an alternative vision, you see, for what, a happy, or what, what Christians claim is a happy person, a sort of Darby and Joan vision, you know? Settling into a boring um, life of... Um, of 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 restraint and and modesty and oh I don't want that I'd rather have a bit of JLo's life for uh, uh, for a few years and uh, uh, and suffer the consequences later you know the live hard die young leave a good looking corpse um, uh, a- attitude
1: but that life is not actually as unattractive as the stereotype. It's actually one of real freedom,
0: where people have learned to lead a contented lives.
1: Christians who have learned to discipline their lives are happier. You want to be happy? Read your Bible. Happy are those whose ways
0: are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. There is no claim of perfection here. I realise that priggishness is not quite as pronounced as I thought before. Look at verse 5. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. He knows that he's still got a long way to go. And that's one of the things that makes our Bible reading difficult because it brings us face to face with those things again and again and again. But there is grace, there is forgiveness, there is strength to change and a person who faces up to their failures and does something about it is a person who grows. And he knows that there will be massive fruit that comes as he learns obedience. Verse 6 he says, then I will not be put to shame. Then, uh, verse 7, then I will have an upright heart. Verse 7 again, then I will praise you. He will be someone who is not actually brought to shame in public. He'll be someone who internally has a heart of integrity, not sinless but that he's dealing with his sins
1: and he will be someone whose life constantly turns into praise. Is that what you want? I, I don't want to set you an impossible task
0: this morning, but I do want to challenge you. I want to say, read your Bible more often than not four hits a week it's not as good as seven but it's dramatically better than two
1: read your Bible more often than not let me suggest some practical
0: things um, uh, just to think about to help you because we need help families these, these are all um, Um, proven from research these things I'm going to tell you families that read their Bible together regularly show significant long term benefits in their children's Bible reading habits not a great surprise but families here do you read your Bible together as a family personally keep a journal those who record their thoughts, their prayers, their responses to Bible passages are significantly more likely to keep going in reading their Bible. It's, it's, it's become the, the, a major part of what I do for myself. I, I will sketch out the main points that the passage has. I will record my response to it. I will pray, uh, uh, pray about it. I, I keep a journal because it keep, focuses my mind. Otherwise, it's just like shaving uh, uh, in the morning. You do it without thinking and you go away and forget. Again, those who keep journals, they reap the benefits. Have a reading plan. Some people get um, terrified of, uh, uh, of them and they can be ter- terrible masters, but they are useful. Perhaps set yourself a reading plan. Over the years, I've often had a project on the go. There's something in the Bible I want to understand. That probably means I need to read that Bible book reasonably carefully and uh, that one and think about it and perhaps I'll find a Christian book to, uh, uh, to, to think about it on. And I will do that over the next, however long the project is, three months, year. I've got one project that's been going ten years now. Um, I'm slowly getting there, I think. Um, uh, but have a project, something that bugs you. You want to get some better understanding on. Make a plan to do something about it. Use study notes. Um, again, people who have study notes, the advantage of those is they're usually undated, so you can be guilt-free if you start slipping back, but they find them enormously Beneficial. There are lots on the market. Use study notes. Read in the morning. Now here's an interesting statistic. Um, Well, you may not be very surprised about it. Those who read their Bibles in the morning are massively more likely to be regular Bible readers. It's just the way overwhelmingly uh, life works. If you leave it later in the day, it tends to get pushed out. I know not everyone can. I know some people are uh owls are not uh, uh, larks like me, but perhaps part of it is actually just going to bed a bit earlier so that you can get up and read your Bible. Reading it in the morning has significant benefits, so the researchers say. Belong to a small group. Belong to a um, a little accountability group where you will discuss how life's going and how your Bible reading is going Find a mentor, someone one-to-one perhaps who can in- encourage you and, uh, and, and help you to grow. People whose personal reading is also matched by, by uh, Bible reading in some social context, not just listening to sermons, but in some social context. They are massively more able to sustain regular Bible reading habits. That's one of the reasons why we have home groups because they are a vital support to you in the rhythm of life if you don't belong to a home group then sign up for one on, uh, uh, on the website remember the target four hits a week more often than not I'm feeding myself on God's word I'm responding to it in prayer I'm asking for God's help to live it out. 400 years people in this country have had the Bible available to them to read. Sometimes it's not been easy, even in those 400 years. I used to preach in a little village church that had an old lamp, I probably told you this story before, had an old old lamp hanging on the wall above the uh, Uh, the pulpit. That lamp was the lamp in the, uh, I think it was the 16th century that the church used to gather around in the woods because it was illegal for them to meet and to read the Bible and to worship together as Baptists in that case. And they wanted to remember that. They had the privilege of gathering as a church to hear God's word in a building in public but the people who founded the church didn't have that privilege but still they did it. 400 years we've had the Bible in the English language. It has done amazing things. The list is too long to go through both for this nation and others and in people's lives. But here's my question.
1: Will it do amazing things in your life? It can if you let it. As we pray to end,
0: I'm going to read the second eight verses as a prayer for us. They're a prayer of commitment and they're a prayer that Reflects a heart desire to hear God's word. Because he's learned that reading and obeying God's word makes you happy. Let me read it as we pray. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? I living according to your word, for so I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your
1: commands. I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you.
0: Praise be to you, Lord, teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches.
1: I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Let those who agree say, Amen.